the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is a bonus episode, and our guest is Jordan Lenning. Jordan is a producer, composer, singer, songwriter, all-around creative whose latest record, Little Idols, tells the tale of an affair between a man and a married woman. It is a beautiful piece of work, and I am so excited to have Jordan on the show. His producing credits include Caitlin Rose and uh, Rodney Crowell. Just a really fascinating guy. Before we get to our conversation with Jordan, I would like to invite all of you to follow The Marinade on Instagram and Twitter. We just cut ties with Facebook, y'all, and it feels so good, but you can find us um, all over the place. Marinadepodcast.com is another good place to keep up with all things The Marinade. If you really like what we're doing, consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to our Patreon-exclusive show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life. Uh, Most importantly, tell a friend about the show, subscribe, uh, rate us on your podcast app. Those are all free ways that you can support our work. All right, y'all. Here comes my conversation with Jordan Lennon. Okay, so let's get right into it, man. Again, thank you so much for doing this. I love the record. It's beautiful. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's so much I want to discuss with you. And I wonder if we can kind of like start by backing up and, and talking about how you, your upbringing and how that might have influenced your career choices and so forth. I mean, you kind of, kind of went into the family business. Um, mm-hmm. did you, at what point did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Um. I guess it was never a, really a question. It was like, that's just what I did all the time. And, mm. um, you know, I, I remember when I was 
young, I was probably 12 or 13. My dad had a conversation with me about something. And I honestly don't remember the, the ending of this conversation, but he started by saying, it's clear that this is probably going to be your profession. And what he went to say after that, I don't remember. He might've said bail now, don't do it. <laughs> but I don't really remember, but it was, you know, it was always something that I was just really inclined to do and um, grateful that I still get to do it. You know, that's, that's a really young age to have that, to have that figured out. Um, it, did you waver it all along the way? Like, or was that just like, all right, I, this, I, I just know this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, there were, uh, there were other things I was interested in that I could have gone to school and, you know, studied up on and, and gotten a degree and then an occupation. And, and there's times that I wonder if I split my life, I, I would have studied psychology and there's times that had I split my life between that and writing, I wonder if there if certain elements of my life would be happier. Mm. Um, but I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, I kind of could have seen myself doing that, but early on I was pretty sure I wanted to do film scoring and film composing, which I've done enough of. Um, and you know, uh, looking at the, uh, a lifestyle in LA of doing that full time, uh, mm. where, where it, would be great i could also see it being really painful too mm. um and at the end of the day i think i um i unfortunately like having the reins of the sort of the direction of the product can you say more about that like what, what you mean by you you think maybe certain aspects of your life would be would be better if you had split your time well there's parts of doing this job. So I do a lot of production, a lot of editing, a lot of uh, mixing and it's work, you know, and it's like, there's parts of it where you kind of have to focus on the craft and not what you're doing, not the sort of, you know, the you know, there's stuff you work on that you don't really want to work on uh, and you have to focus on the craft of that to get through it. Luckily it doesn't happen too terribly often. Um, but it's a job at the end of the day. And, um, I had wondered if I was, you know, did some other occupation and I split the time making music, but then I zoom out and it's like, no, because I, you know, I've built a studio and, uh, and the skill sets that I have acquired in working on the stuff solely for the craft have allowed me, uh, to focus those skills on my own stuff in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Mm if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Are you with the philosophy thing? Are you able to scratch that, that itch in other ways? Um, psychology. Yeah. Psychology. Sorry. Sorry. Psychology. There's no worries. There's guys, um, that I like to read up on and honestly, uh, you know, dealing with artists <laughs> is you're sort of forced to do that anyway. Right. Um, but I'm more fascinated with it than I, 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 maybe I would dig it in practice, but I don't know. Um, I can scratch the itch is the short answer. Yeah. All right. What do you, what do you read uh, for, for that particular outlet? There's a great book by Carl Jung called Memory Streams Reflections okay. that I read a few years ago. Um, 
and again, that was an influence of my dad's. My dad was way into young and got all this stuff on him. And, uh, I poured pretty heavily into that. Um, you know, and just life, just everyday life of, you know, peopling, <laughs> dealing uh, with personalities, you're sort of forced to practice. Did you learn some of those lessons from your dad and watching him work? Probably. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond, sort of how he would deal with clients and then how he would deal with us. Cause I'm, I'm the youngest of four boys and I was definitely like, I want to say the worst one, but I would, I would drive him kind of crazy. Uh, you know, I'd like take a piece of gear and he'd call me like, where, where the hell is this? I'm like, Oh yeah. I had a part. I was like, you got, you can't just take stuff. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I was sort of notorious for that. Um, and watching him handle clients, musicians, and then us, I think was pretty informative, um, for how, for, you know, good ways to be sensible you yeah. know, to other people. Well, how, so let's kind of, kind of pivot then following that line of thought and, and pivot into making records. So you, your production credits are really outstanding. You've worked with some amazing people and then you've got your own stuff as well. Plus the film scoring. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different avenues there for you to scratch those creative itches. How do you approach those different, those different disciplines. I, it, do you have a similar approach creatively or, or do, do you, do you approach each one uh, in a different manner? Um, they go, they, they are similar in that you, I try to focus on the product. I try to focus on the end result and just sort of mm. the easiest path to that point in all those different areas. Hmm. but the skills involved, you know, the interface is totally different with all of those different things. Um, and it just comes down to communicating, you know, uh, very transparently to the person you're working with about the easiest way to do it, you know, and obviously money is a big part of this where you can say, well, we can take a really long time uh, where I'm, off and on working on this if you want to do it for cheap or we can do it pretty fast with a lot of good, you know, musicians on the floor for X, for X amount more. Uh, but you know, the back and forth then that you start with the artist is totally different in all these things. Like in the scoring world, I scored a movie called the dead center, um, which I think came out last year and the director, uh, Billy Sinise, had me, I basically scored the movie four times. Oh, he wow. Said, he said, just do it really fast. Don't think about it. Just go through it, gut, which I really loved. He was like, cool, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And I did, and he goes, great, sounds great. Do it again. <laughs> so <sighs> I went through, I scored the movie four times, um, which was a, an enormous amount of time and energy and brain power. And uh, that process is rewarding in a totally different way than a string arrangement is rewarding or, you know, it's, it's all different, but it's, they're all sort of connected in the same way though, you know? Yeah. I, so how, <laughs> that's interesting. The, cause I don't really know. I mean, my partner has a film production degree, so I know some basics, you know, just from listening to her talk about school and stuff when, when she was in school. Yeah. Um, 
but but I don't really know that world very well, right? So I I find that really interesting that that he would have you do it so many times. Were you coming up with like was he giving you notes or were he, was he like Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just blind do it again. It, right. He would say this is a little this is a little this. Let's go again. Okay, um, so you're not like reinventing the 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 product each time. No, and when something stuck and was great, he'd go don't touch this. This is great. Let's keep going. So how different was the, f- the first draft from your final draft? Very different. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I would say about 15% of the first draft stayed for the rest of the picture. How comfortable are you with that? Of getting, How comfortable are you with receiving feedback? And then I have no attachment to uh, ideas. That's <laughs> I, awesome. to me, ideas are these things. And, you know, if I think it's right for something and the person that I'm making it for goes, no, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to try to twist their arm and force them into thinking it's right because it's, it's about me trying to understand what their thing is at the end of the day, you know? Okay. So if you're, if you're producing a record for a Rodney Crowell or a Caitlin Rose or some of these, re- re- these uh, artists that you, these amazing artists that you've worked with. Uh, so does that look like this? Does that look the same in practice where you might have an idea and if they don't, if they don't like it, are you not pushing back at all? Or what does that give and take look like for you as a producer of a record? I think it's different with, with each client because you, you know, if, if I don't know these people and I'm put into a position where I, if that's sort of my job, I'll be clear, like, I'm going to give you an idea and you can absolutely say no. Uh, and I'll do it how you want to do it, but you'll know my opinion about it. You know, I'm not, and I'm not going to be a dick about it either. I'll be, this is what, how you want to, you know, I always say it's your record. It's not my record. Right. Um, so with Rodney's record, um, it was, Rodney's done a ton of producing of his own material. Mm. And I told somebody. Oh, no, you're frozen. That's how it was going. I said, well, it's the first time I've ever produced a producer. I'm oh, sorry. You got me? Oh, now I got you. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I was talking to a buddy and he asked me how the um, Rodney record was going. I said, well, it's the first time I've ever produced a producer. Uh... <laughs> and it was tricky, but... Uh, and he would, you know, sort of ask about something and we'd attack it and he'd go, no, nah, no. Nah. So it was a lot of trial and error for that particular record. Um, and with Caitlin, I've known Caitlin for a very long time. Mm. And, you know, her and I are close friends outside of the studio. Um, and it used to be where she, if she would reject an idea or want to pivot, I would fighter about it um but i think that's just because i know her and i mm. you know we're friendly but that proved time and time again to not be uh the right way to approach that situation so i've sort of in, in dealing with most people i've come to this zen place of like this is your time you know we can we'll do kind of I'll, I'll show you how i think we should do it and what i think would best serve this material but at the end of the day, this is your stuff. And if you want to change that, that's, it's not my call. You know, what a great attitude. What, what a wonderful way to approach it. I love the part earlier where you, that you, you talked about like not just not being attached to ideas that, that, I mean, 
do you have like some sort of Zen practice or anything that helps you to get to that place? Like that's such a, no, I, I think I'm prolific. I write uh, a lot, so I can't, re- I don't have the time to be super attached to ideas. Um, mm. And I, it's like, it's okay. They're sitting there. And if you, if you have an idea that the person doesn't respond to back pocket, save it for, you know, it's out there floating somewhere. So it's probably, it wants to be produced, but just not with that person, you know? Right. Okay. So let's, let's go, let's, let's go to the record then. So with little idols, where are that it's, it's a, it's an ambitious project, right? It's Mm. cinematic. It's intentionally cinematic. It's, Mm. um, it's lush. It is, um, it's, uh, sonically very full. What, uh, how can you kind of walk through how this record came about, um, where you got the idea, uh, when you knew it was going to be an album, right? Um, kind of, kind of walk us through that process. So once about once a year, maybe once every other year, I get this bug where I feel like it's time to, it's time to hire some musicians and get in the studio and track some stuff. And I typically, it typically happens when I have a, a collection of songs that all fit un, under one sort of sonic umbrella. And I go, oh, well, this would be, this could be a record. And I think, I think I cut seven songs in a day or two with Mike Rennie and Dom Billet. And it was just us three. I engineered from the booth and uh, we just knocked them out. And it was easy. And, and then I zoomed out and sort of looked at the songs and I, and I didn't have lyrics for a lot of them. I had melody and form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for like four or five, songs that didn't have lyrics and I thought well I'll just cut these and I'll come up the lyrics later and two of the songs maybe even three of those songs I just was not um I wasn't falling in love with them and then the other batch I really liked um and at the time I was watching there's a specific Woody Allen movie called September mm. which is sort of a or known one of his and I looked into it oh, yeah it's it's pretty beautiful I looked into it and it was sort of his response to an Ingmar Bergman movie named uh called uh, uh Autumn Sonata and I had always wanted meant to do sort of a deep dive into Bergman and of course like the one that I that everybody thinks of is Seventh Seal so I watched that and was like boy this is you know this, this is a uh, intense it, heavy Mm. and so then i watched autumn sonata and it was really amazing and immediately i was like oh woody allen's just been and allen is vocal about this but he's just been trying to doing more bergman his whole career Uh and so then i just went way deep into bergman and um i really really liked the tones that he would have and he was really consistent with with his just the the experience of the movie was just this really consistent tone and I was in the meantime you know waking up and working on this record that I didn't totally understand and it was uh I started sort of seeing a in themes of some of the lyric uh, uh, a consistency and I think that's when I started thinking maybe this could be a concept record and I thought it, for a minute I was like maybe it's an EP so you know it sort of went back and forth about uh what it actually was and it was I would have little jigsaw pieces of it 
set up. And then at that point, I realized if I wrote, you know, wrote material to fit into the jigsaw, I could sort of create a through line that, uh, you know, would turn into the thing. But I finished the whole record. I mixed the whole thing. This was not all that long ago. Uh, and I was driving in the car with my wife and kids to go to Gatlinburg for like a little family trip. And as I played the record, um, I didn't have any of these interludes in between. And it just sort of was just like song, 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 song. And it didn't connect. It didn't really gel. And that's when I decided to create these interludes that, you know, sort of play through the whole thing to make it feel like one piece as opposed to these little blinking snapshots. You know what I mean? Right. So the story itself, though, are, are you like, do you do you write do you write short stories or anything like that on uh, on your own or? Not really. I okay. I journal a lot. I just okay. I just write down sort of thoughts, but um, I don't really do a lot of short story writing. Okay, so but the the record is a story, right? So mm-hmm. where, how how did that kind of? Because the way you're describing that process, it. And when you listen to the record, it almost sounds like you had this idea for the story and then you made the record, but it sounds like that's not at all what was happening. The through line came to you, but like, how, how did you, how did, where did the idea from the, for, for the, the, the story of the affair kind of come from? So the inception of that, I was with Aaron Ray and uh, Ian Fitchick. About a week before we got together, I had came up with this idea um, and it was, um, the chorus song and I just had the line um you know the I had an image of the car broken down at a quarry and um these two people breaking up and the girl was breaking up with him she's married uh he's single and they're probably in love with each other and it's the last time they're going to see each other and that's the little snapshot that I had and I had the melody and you know bit of the chorus and I called Ian and Aaron to come over because um, I honestly I thought Aaron would sing it really well she would and sure. we did she's a demo amazing. she's she's one of my favorites we did a demo and the demo is awesome um, and I kept nudging her like hey let's track that song like for real let's go do it and she'd be like yeah let's do it and it just kind of never happened um, and then that was one of the songs that I cut with those guys on that first session mm. and that is really sort of where the story, I realized that that could be the, you know, the last pivot of that, of this bigger story. Mm-hmm. So really in doing that, that was, that was really the beginning of it. Nice. I like that. It's um, with the, the music itself for you. I mean, you, you seem to know your way around a lot of different instruments. Do you write with one particular instrument or do you hear it all at the same time? What what is like for you writing music? What does that look like? Um, it's typically guitar or piano. Okay. Um, but I uh, I, th- there's a tuning I use all the time, and it's uh, for all you music heads out there, it's C yeah. G D F C E from low to high, and it's this really low, pretty Nick Drakey kind of thing. Um. And I'll, I just have a guitar kind of parked there. And a lot of the record is in that tuning. So even alternate tuning a, a 
guitar is sort of a, it's a new instrument suddenly, you know? Yeah. So I do, I do a lot of writing on, you know, just alt tuning guitar, guitar or piano. Awesome. Film is clearly um, something that inspires you. Um, are there other things that, that also translate into inspiration for you creatively? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a terribly slow reader, but I, <laughs> Me too, I'm always, man. <laughs> but I'm always reading, yep. but I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just have a book for a year just that I sort of yep. nibble away at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot in that. There's a lot in reading that I try to take away from. And, you know, I, I make a lot of music for other artists and the format of the album is totally, uh, it's, you know, it's a little extinct and yet we're still kind of making it the way we thought we, the way we think we have to make it where it's 10 songs. And I, like, I admit like my record's 30 minutes and it's nine songs. It's technically a standard album. And something that I just wanted to experiment with this is trying to get out of that headspace. Um, and I, again, it's really those through lines, the, um, the interludes that, I think really make that happen if, if it happens, but you know, beyond that, now I'm trying to think of like, well, is there a way, what if you did like three songs that were seven minutes each or mm. eight minutes each and you create these much bigger arcs, just some, something to switch it up. And I listened to a ton of classical and Mahler was a huge influence on this record. Um, he has these, uh, there's one piece called Kinder Totem Leader that's unbelievable. Uh, it's terribly gorgeous and the orchestration, the arrangements are just perfect. Um, so that, that was a big influence as well. What do you think holds people back? Cause that's such a great point about, I love albums, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I, I, I love consuming the whole work and, uh, but your point is, a really good one and that is that in to some extent that's not necessary anymore maybe not even useful anymore for a lot of folks what do you think what holds because because the other thing is now everybody's got access to to putting music out right so what, yeah. what do you think is holding people back from doing stuff like that well i think i think you have to sort of examine why they're doing it do they want to do it because you know, there's a, there's a lot of artists that just want to be there. They don't really care what they put out. They just want to be a thing. Mm. And then there's people that want to make something and want, want to have the experience themselves and want other people to have that experience. And I think you get the people that just kind of want to be there. They don't, they, they'll go the standard route of like, let's just make something and put it out and, and I'll be on my merry way. Right. Um, and I think that's incredibly common. And I don't think it's, I don't think people think of, um, trying to get outside of the box all that off. I mean, the business is a model that's ever fluctuating and has always been scared to change. And, um, you know, but I think as we enter this new period of time where it's easier to record, it's easier and to get good quality and it's easier to, um, release the music. I think we will experience some people sort of doing it in their own way. You know, yeah. I think the bigger, I think the bigger thing is how, what is the amount of time that I can hold your attention? Uh, you know, 
Uh because if it is like two minutes then it's like okay and do you prefer to like switch gears after two minutes or can we kind of make this a longer thing you know or so i think those things are all up in the air well that and that brings up questions about audience so much too like certain and i don't want to generalize people by generation necessarily all that much but like they're for me, I, you got my, you, you're going to have my attention for that seven minutes. You're going to have my attention for as long as the work is good. Right. So if it's a, if it's quality, if it's two minutes, I'll be there for two minutes. If it's 10 minutes long, I'll be there for 10 minutes long. But I also kind of, kind of grew up slowly with the internet. Right. So like it, it wasn't immediately a thing for me, right? I'll, I'm, mm-hmm. I'll be 40 in December. So it's like mm-hmm. just kind of that, that, that perfect sort of moment, I think, for attention span. You, I, I'll stick with it for a while. Um, whereas a lot of folks, especially folks who grew up with the internet, won't stick with it as much. But then that comes to the question of like, are you thinking about the audience when you're making the work? Yeah. I, I think, or I'm trying to make myself the audience. Uh, That's something Rodney and I would talk about a lot too, where he would not, he would, we'd keep doing it and he wouldn't dig it. We keep doing it. He wouldn't dig it. And he sort of apologized at one point. I was like, man, I was like, it's all good. You know, the, the artist is the first audience member. So if you don't like it, then don't, yeah. don't do it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I posted something, a question the other day on Instagram, one of those polls, and it said, um, would you, would you rather have all of any, any product you'd ever create readily available right at your fingertips that, you know, you'd ever make for the rest of your life that you could consume or do you want to wait your whole life for, you know, the process of a life lifetime creating this stuff, potentially not you know, getting the results you were wanting or incompleted, you know, and everybody said, you know, I want to go through the process. And the two questions was, said product or process. And everybody said process, except my brother, Eric, who's a great writer and a, you know, one of my favorite people, he said product. And inwardly, I, I agree with that. While I love the process huh. and it's exciting and it's, you get stuff out of it at the end of the day, I think I'm a consumer. I want the experience of the artwork. And if I could have any idea I ever had totally finished and I could just sit there and, and watch it or listen to it, I would totally do that. That sounds interesting. Awesome. That's so interesting. I love that question. I, my initial reaction was process until, until you just said that. Now, I don't know. I hate to have to make the choice. <laughs> sure. But you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Um, what, uh, so what are you consuming now? Um, art wise, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Maybe a book, a film, something's got you, fi- things that have you fired up right now. I am, uh, what am I reading? I'm slug- sluggishly getting through Herman Hess, mm. a book of short stories mm. because I wanted to read, um, this one that he wrote called Clinkster's last summer, which is about a painter and the, you know, the, the sort of the end of his life. And, but it's at the end of this short story book. <laughs> and I have like this moral dilemma, like, do I read these other two books or I skip to the end? So I'm reading these other two short stories and they're really, really boring and I don't connect to them at all. 
So, but so I'm doing quiet, that, man. Skip, skip ahead. I know, I know. I can't. It's like a, it's a nervous <laughs> tick. Um, what am I watching? Uh, my wife and I have been watching Perry Mason, the new one on HBO. Oh, is it good? Man, I think it's awesome. Huh. The opening, the first ten minutes, we were like, nah. There was like some cheap shock factor, but really after that, I thought it was excellent. But um. I've been I've been chipping away at Ingmar Bergman. I, the guy made so many movies; you could spend years digesting them. Right. What's um, a, What's a good starting place? I mean, I don't know. It's like the ones that everybody says are amazing are not incredibly. Uh, they're not. And they're not reflective of his vast body of work. Oh, interesting. I mean, Seven Seals great. Wild Strawberries is great. But honestly, Autumn Sonata like kicked me to the floor. Okay. Cries and Whispers is crazy. Um, after the rehearsal is amazing. Fanny and Alexander. I mean, it's all really pretty stunning. And he'd do like two. He would do a movie or two every single year, and put on stage plays and do radio dramas. And he's writing all this shit. I mean, it's it amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't. I just—it's it, incredible. I don't know that that level. It is to to be able to do it like that and to do it well. That's the other thing. Like a lot of people can put out a lot of uh, a bunch of content or whatever. I guess I didn't use the word the, the term content at the time, but um, a lot of people can put out a lot of work, but but to do it and to do it on such a high level just makes so little sense to me <laughs> i think it's yeah. incredible it really is incredible and i think there's something about doing it at that speed that you don't really have the time to nitpick over stuff and you just kind of let it be what it is that's a great thought man getting out of your ego and just mm -hmm. making the thing and not second guessing it too much because if it if i sit alone with things i just wrote something recently and i i just sat with it for a while and i was like by the end of it, I was like, well, this is pointless. It's awful. No one's going to want it. No one's going <laughs> to like it. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. And then, you know, I looked at it with fresh eyes and I was like, okay, you're just in your head, man. You've just been sitting with this stupid piece. It's not, it's not a big deal. Put it out there. Right. Yeah. And, and it ended up being very, it was pretty much exactly the same as my original draft. So <laughs> it's like, I'm just agonizing over nothing, you know? <laughs> It's so ridiculous. Jordan, man, your record's wonderful. And I'm, re I'm really grateful for this time. I really appreciate it. This is, a, this is a lot of fun and I'm really, really grateful, man. Man, thank you for the time. I really appreciate you. Awesome. All right, man. Well, take care. Have a good rest of your day. You too, pal. Talk soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.